All right, so at this time, we'll start our Q&A discussion circle. Um, I just have a few announcements. Uh, so again, it is our fourth year anniversary today. We do ask you uh, to continue to support us. Um, we can take donations uh, via credit card and a swipe, so you just see Samia if you'd like to do it that way. Um, and we, ha we do have a no announcements policy, um, so if we hand you the mic, uh, we ask that you use this time to reflect and share on, uh, about the khutbah and keep it relevant. Um, we do have flyers uh, from different people uh, on the back table that you can uh, find out about um, upcoming events. Um, and we are continuing to co continue uh, publishing our Q&A audio recordings. Um, but during this circle, um, we want it to be a safe space for everyone. So we ask you to feel comfortable sharing vulnerably. Um, but if there is anything that you share during the circle that you don't want us to publish online afterwards, just let us know and we'll cut your piece out. Um, and lastly, we want to hear from everyone. So um, if you're someone who generally doesn't speak up, um, use this as your safe space to practice speaking up uh, so that you're, you feel more comfortable doing so outside of this safe space. Um, and then, yeah, inshallah, today at the end of our circle um, and our discussion, we'll have our little rose ceremony, and then we have that cake for you in the back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, we, we should just skip everything and just go straight for the cake now, right? <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> All right, can I get a takbir? That was an amazing khutbah, Sylvia. Thank you so much. I, you guys would not believe how much she resist, resisted doing this. But, but I think knowing that someone who is this amazing, mashallah, and has this amount of knowledge and strength and inspiration to share with us, if she feels unworthy, how much work do we still need to do in this space? Right? And this is for all of us. So if she feels this way, how, how do the rest of us feel if, if oh we don't have, no really, I mean this is, we're all on the same, we're all on the same journey. Um, but it just goes to show you that a lot of it is internalized, right? It's not real. We are worthy. We're just believing these messages. So please use her, her vulnerability that she shared with us today to inspire you to step up and do things like this and to speak up today in the circle. So thank you again, Sylvia. Thank you thank so much. You. Thank you. You for, really pushed yourself. For, for, you know, getting in my mind. She said all these things that I say to my students about things, and I was like, wait a second. I'd be total hypocrite. Um, I have a question to start off. So you had so many incredible, um, you know, stories to share with us. Um, are there any books that you can recommend, um, like oh. resources that we can learn more about these women? So many. Um, mm -hmm. I uh, thank you. Usually when I go to talks, but I, I'm from, I travel from the East Coast, so if I'm driving somewhere, I bring a huge box mm. of books just so people can see how many books there are out there, not only about Muslim women, or but by Muslim women about issues around gender and, and everything, right? Um, but some of the ones that just come up the top of my head that are really kind of critical are Leila Ahmed's Islam and Gender, um, where she really kind of explains the history of uh, colonialism in Muslim countries. Um, the work of uh, Jamila Kareem, looking at American Muslim women and looking at the relation. And I can, you know what I could do yeah. if people are interested, 
I could type a list and send it to you. Yeah, that would be great. And you could share it with the community. Um, I have some dear colleagues and peers right now. Suad Abdul Khabir, who's written a book called Muslim Cool, uh, which looks at African-American Muslims and hip hop and this idea of kind of Muslim cool in the United States. Uh, Zarina Graywall has a wonderful book about Islamic authority. Uh, Zarina Graywall, who's at Yale, she has a book called Islam is a Foreign Country. Um, and looking at about the ways we look to kind of this romanticized notion of Islam as, a, as, as this place that we travel to, um, and many, many, many more. And so I'd be happy. Also, there's just wonderful work on African-American Muslims. Uh, Amina Beverly McLeod is a scholar that's been working for, Sister Amina's been working for 30 and 40 years on these topics and is kind of a, you know, an inspiration. She was doing this work when no one cared. Um, Richard Brent Turner's work on African-American Islam. So yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I will, but I'll stop because it's kind of, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll send you my syllabus. Just to, to get us started, because I'm sure there are people who want to go on Absolutely. Amazon right after and this please, and, and start you know, learning. And, yeah. and I always tell, and I want to just say this up front, you can find me online, um, you can Google my work page. If you want reading suggestions, that's one thing I'm always, I, I can send you, you can email me, I will write back. All right, awesome. So who would like to ask first question, share a reflection, anything at all? It always starts off very quiet, and then at the end, we're like, we have to stop, and like 20 people will raise their hand, and then I feel guilty. <laughs> All right. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Your khutbah break my heart. That's my first break, heartbroken of the year for 2019. So thank you for that. Thank and you God so bless much. you. God bless you too. Thank you so much. Hi, Assalamu alaikum. I just want to uh, thank you very much for the topic um, and then the passion in which you shared the information um, with everyone. And since I live that world that you spoke of, um, I, I can definitely tell uh, folks that she was telling you the, all the good stuff and the truth. <laughs> and, but uh, the courage and um, what legacy that you want to share with your, your children. Um, because I know you said that's where this came from. Okay. And um, it's really interesting to hear someone speak about becoming a Muslim, you know, a, a convert. And um, child, I can't tell you how excited I am um, about the kutbah. And thank you so very, very much. Assalamualaikum. Thank you so much. It was a wonderful kutbah in so many different ways. And um, my question specifically is about the sister who built a masjid and then over time, she was actually uncomfortable in her own space. And then she was confronted, like you said, by someone probably about 16 years old, which could have gotten him in real trouble, you know. Right. Uh, but I, I was hoping you could expand on that just a bit more. Did she uh, complain to anybody on the board? Or did she, she didn't react in anger apparently, she was just, very hurt. So I was hoping you could expand just a bit more on what you may know about her experience. Yeah. When I think about, I, I kind of always return to 
what I want, you know, you're raising, I'm raising young women, young African-American women. And you know, this is something that is, is for me a responsibility that I see as, you know, um, you want to prepare your children for the world. And, and so the legacy that I want to teach them, really, I mean, at the end of the day, of course I want them to say, yes, I can be Muslim, no one can tell me I can't be. But always what I want my children to see is that there is this vastness of Islam where they can find their joy. And like I said, have that moment on the prayer mat where they just understand God loves them so much and I just don't want anything to stand in the way of that. And so to tell these stories of these women where everything was in the way, you know? And you know, the, you know, little girls are coming, my daughters are like, ah, oh, this happened at school. It's like, this world is temporary. There is so much for you. And I just want them, you know, inshallah, someday when they get older, you know that age where you stop thinking you're parents are super embarrassing and you're actually like, oh, maybe I should listen to something they say, like that they will look at this book or hear the things that I said and say, I have precedence. Also, that's another thing. I had no idea how to be Muslim. I know maybe there are other converts in this room, but like kind of believing, knowing the things I did before and coming from where I did, I'm Chinese American, my parents are immigrants. I, I didn't know what to do. And that feeling at times was so isolating and so, like there's no one like me who I could look to and say, how did you do this? And I just want my daughters to like have some stories and know like even if you can't ask someone in real life, there have been those like you. And I think, I hope that gives them some sort of strength. For that sister that I met last week, I have her email like on my talk that I read there. And, and you know, when she told it, it just made sense that she just walked away because she had talked about enduring. These, the board changed. Everybody there changed, and she kept going. And she said it got to the point where everybody who was at the masjid didn't even know that she had started it. You know what I mean? They didn't even, because the community had changed so much, right? And so she had gotten to the point where she was already kind of not going as much and not being as engaged. And when that young man said that to her, I think that was the last straw. And I told her, I said, look, we need to collect your story. We need to, we need to I'm working with this librarian, an African-American Muslim a woman named Rebecca Hankins in Texas. She's a librarian and archivist. Um, my friend Suad. We, we said, we have to record these stories and archive them because no one's listening. That's what breaks my heart. Like it breaks my heart all the time that our elders are passing, elders are passing away. And the, they, they knew so much. They did so many things. So I, I don't, I'm sorry, I can't answer it more fully, but like I wanna follow up with her. I want, I mean, more than anything, I just feel like someone needs to hear your story. How did you build that mosque? I wanna know. <laughs> like in 1982, what did you do? What, did, what was the community like? You know, what were the programs you offered? So I think with, um, with many communities, um, they're happy to have your help and your expertise and your get things done. And so that's how it got built. You know, the community needed one, it, there wasn't one, and she was that catless. Um, but the shame 
is that how dare those who came after her allowed her name to disappear from the history of the masjid. That's the, the, the shame yeah. on that community. Right. And she's just, I mean, again, this, that's not an isolated story. I mean, there are many other stories like that. Many, 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 many. My own, my, my own mother-in-law, you know, doesn't go to her masjid that she used to go to. So, you know, I've heard it so much. Hers was just so dramatic and it really kind of symbolized or signified that. Assalamu alaikum. I'm glad you brought that topic up because ironically we had that discussion after Juma just last week mm -hmm. because the masjid that I go to in Long Beach is ethnically diverse but it was started by African Americans in the Nation of Islam and recently the uh, imam who uh, started the masjid passed away was it uh, about two, two weeks ago or something like that and he was like 94 years old almost 95 Ooh. and over the years in attending that masjid Sometimes when I went, I would be the only woman there at, Jum at Juma because it was that, not that many women there. Over the years, the uh, Muslims from different countries found out that masjid was there, and they started coming there. So it's quite it's a huge masjid. A lot of people go there. And so the discussion we had was now that the imam who's there now, he's been teaching there for maybe, tw maybe 20 years. He's been ill quite a bit lately. So the discussion was like, if he passes away, who is going to be in charge? And will we suffer... Uh, of getting, you know, like, ease out, because I did see that happen in Philadelphia with the masjid that was started under Elijah Muhammad. Over the years, other Muslims took it over, and so the African Americans maybe scattered and kind of pushed aside. So we were, like, hoping, like, we don't, this doesn't happen to us at that masjid in Long Beach, because a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into it with the African American community, and we, we, we don't want our history pushed aside, because we as Muslims have a big history here in America right. of the things that you said that went on to, to uh, have Islam stand on its feet here in America. Mm -hmm. So we don't want our history put, pushed aside. So uh, the sister who left, I feel for her because myself personally, I would have stood there and stared at that young man and let him know, let him know, you don't know who you're talking to because I'm the one not bragging, letting you know that I have built this match with my blood, sweat, and tears, and I have a right to be here. And even if I did not do that, I'm a Muslim, and I still have a right to be in a match at any house of Allah that's built to pray in, I have a right to be there. So I, I, I hope you can get back in contact with I her will. and Inshallah. speak with her and let her know there's a wealth of Muslims here in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> we will come there with, and we will stand beside her, and we will help her fight. <laughs> Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. I greatly appreciate your khutbah today. Thank you. I almost come in tears. And we, Latino Muslims, and Mexican, Mexican, Mexican-American, Mexican, we are a minority, just like a description of your characters. Of course, we know what it is sometimes to be in a situation of discrimination, and uh, it's a long topic, but I think our community, our un-Muslim community, needs some kind of sensitivity yeah. towards minorities. Oh, absolutely. Especially <laughs> from the uh, <laughs> immigrant Muslims from a Muslim country. Yeah. And from they are predominantly Islamic countries. Exactly. Because it's, yeah, it's exactly. A and and this uh, topic is Not quite needed in, in 
outside in all the mosques, yes. right? And especially again in those um, Orange County, you know. But <laughs> it, it is important. It is to bring it up, right? Yeah. Because and uh, my community that, that we found, LALMA, Latino Muslim Association, we heard a case of a brother who uh, he looks um, Pakistani, but he's Mexican with beard. He goes to a masjid, and when they talk to him, and he doesn't speak Urdu or doesn't speak Arabic, you know, they say, oh, you're not a Muslim. You're not a real Muslim. You know, he, he said, I almost come out in tears for this person telling me that I'm not a Muslim because I was not born oh, in a Muslim yeah. country. Oh, that so is there is a lot of ignorance from our uh, Muslim community, immigrant Muslim community. So I really appreciate your topic and inshallah more of these, uh, like you will even give a talk at different matches and, and bring this up because it's very important. I just wanted to say really quickly, I mean, I think that is one of the obstacles to having that conversation is that like I referenced in the in the in the clip is that there's this idea and I hear it over and over and over again that race is not a problem if you're a real Muslim. Like you know you hear that people say that they'll be like oh we don't it's like it's like a you know it's it's crazy talk. I mean sorry I don't even mean to use that word but it's nonsense. Like this idea that we don't actually live in our lives, like we don't live in a country where it is an issue, like it doesn't just kind of float around. And so I think that's a huge obstacle to even, for some communities to even introduce it in because there's just such a glib kind of dismissal of even trying to talk about it, like, and to address it. It's so, it's, it's been a struggle. I mean, it's been a struggle. So I just want to say I hear exactly what you're saying and I absolutely agree. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's such, oh, so we're going to do her and then afterwards. Um, that is such a, a fundamental part of Islam, fighting racism. So I, I once heard uh, an imam talk about how um, you know, the initial interaction between Adam and Satan, where Satan said, I will not bow down to Adam because I'm made of fire, and he's made of mud, and fire is better than mud. Um, and how that arrogance, you know, about what you're made of or being better than someone else is the original sin in Islam. Racism is the original sin in Islam. Um, so for, from a spiritual perspective, there is nothing more important to our religion um, than racial equality, all types of equality, but the fact that we each have an equal direct relationship to God. Um, so honestly, when I come across those types of people, really what I'm seeing is ignorance about Islam itself and people who are completely uneducated, who have not read the Quran in a language they understand. Um, so also don't take it personally, know that Yes, someone might act like they have a lot of authority because they're in a place of privilege, but in reality, they're speaking from a place of weakness and ignorance. And if they actually read the Quran, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't talk like that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Also, just I, very quickly, I mean, from from just my own family and personal experiences, and from research, 
especially amongst second generation, like African-American Muslims or children of converts, Latino Muslims who are the children, uh, you know, what I found is that they have come to the space where they really understand that it's important to have their own spaces. So uh, some, a dear friend of mine in Philadelphia, Camilla Rashad, she started this amazing, do you, oh, are you, you were there. I'm from Philly, yeah. You're from Philly, okay. So she started this amazing thing called Deeply Rooted, and it's a space for young African-American Muslims to connect and talk to each other. And she talks about, and I've been to this conference, mashallah, they, she has me come talk to them. They're beautiful. And they tell me, I have never been in a room with people who look like me, who I can actually talk about my experiences and they understand. And they talk about how healing and uplifting and amazing it is and how they just want to come back all the time. Um, and so, you know, again, like, on the one hand, Islam, for me, when I first came to Islam, I went to Jummah and I said, I've never seen so many different types of people in one space. It was so moving, you know. Um, on the other hand, I think there is a need to understand that it's so important to have these spaces where people understand what you mean. Um, I have a dear friend, a Latina Muslim, she's Puerto Rican, and she talks about how in her, you know, she has a circle of Latina Muslim women sisters, and they talk about the specific ways, like the way in which your Catholic upbringing influences how they're thinking about being Muslim, and they understand each other. And I think, Everyone needs that space where you can talk about these specific things with people who care about you. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's not being un-Islamic. That's not like, oh, I just want to be with my, you know. We still want to be with all of us, but we also need those spaces. And I don't think, I think we should cultivate those types of spaces. Yeah, I mean, and, and you need that to be able to have bigger conversations, you need that heart, you know, that connection um, to just just go on with, you know, the hard work of getting to know one another. Yeah, so I would say we need to build those spaces for our children, for our communities. Um, yeah. yeah, she actually was the one who um, suggested that, I'm forgetting what the name was, but where you divide into groups, uh, affinity groups. Yeah. yeah, so she's the one who told us about who, that. And we, yeah, and we tried it here. Oh, did she come? Yeah. She didn't come here yet. Um, oh, she but, did great. Yeah, inshallah, we, you gave me a whole list. You're gonna connect me to all those Yeah, 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 I will, inshallah. <laughs> Wow, it's, uh, it's amazing listening to everyone. Uh, my name is Imtita and I'm called Emmy. And it's really cool that the things you guys just talked about were exactly what I was going to talk about. Because um, I'm actually originally from Sudan. I'm from Darfur, right? So I'm an immigrant, former refugee, grew up here, have an American accent, but my first language is Arabic. But even when I speak the Arabic, they're just like, yeah, but like, do you belong here? <laughs> so yeah. it never ends. Yeah. Um, so I guess like the thing that my big question is, um, I find that, uh, I mean, I, I grew up in a family where activism was inherently part of our Islam, um, but it was, it was like something that we had to, we had to stand up against other Muslims, because we came from Sudan and from Darfur, where the dictator is, tries to use the religion right, right, against right. people and stuff. And so I guess the thing that's been really hard to reconcile over time is that even though when we came here, we'd always get involved um, and supportive of everyone else's issues, understanding that like, you know, um, um, 
you know, a Latino problem isn't a Latino problem. Uh, what's it called? A, um, a black American problem isn't a black American problem. Like, you know, uh, a gay problem isn't a gay problem. It's like everybody has to help everyone, you know? Um, but it never seemed to come back uh, to us. Like right now, I, I just came back from Sudan in December and I came to the mosque here for the first time in December. Um, and then between then and now, one of my um, younger cousins was actually killed in the oh, protest. Really yeah, it was really depressing. Um, but we went and we had our morning spaces. Right. And it was not in the mosque, but it was in the community center, okay. the Sudanese community center. And we were all Muslims and we were all gathered together. And I realized in that moment that my American Muslim, my African American Muslim identity is inherently different than my Af African identity. And so even though I feel like it's important for us to have those spaces where we, where we do talk about um, our affinities, um, how do we keep that from turning into silos? Because then I feel like I have to compartmentalize. I feel like I'm more open in this like, khutbah space than I ever am in a normal, normal space. And I feel, like, um, I feel like there is a lot of me that wants to engage with Islam and wants to answer what's out there. But like you said, just like you said up there, that you feel like it's not your place. Um, and so how do we keep, keep ourselves from being um, put into silos? Um, because I think that we're in one mode here and we're in one mode in the spaces like with other you know, people, people of color, with other people who really understand. And then we suddenly go into like a, a quiet mode, and it's not from being scared, it's actually just from, honestly, like you have to pick your battles, like feeling like you're not in a safe enough space to have those conversations. So I guess that's my, my question, yeah. How do, we, how do we keep this conversation going and keep this safe, take this safe space with us? So does anybody have any ideas how we can do that? That's my question. Oh, I, I, I just wanna like take, you guys with me everywhere I go. <laughs> I would love to hear that the sister in the right there in the white. Oh, yeah, oh she, well, you, she was going to respond to the question, right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, so um, I'm very big about being inclusive. I mean, that's the kind of work that I do. I'm a human rights defender, and I use Islam as a way of doing it. But on the the issue, I think we're all venting, and it's all understandable. But what we really needed to do is that we need to ask, why are we having these issues, right? And this is the problem with our educational system. We need to be challenging those educators within our Islamic societies and our Islamic schools. Because I faced that with my daughter when she went to the Islamic Center and she went to the Sunday school. So she learned some of those negative elements and I yanked her out because that's not the kind of Islam that I believe in. I believe in an Islam that is loving and compassionate. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you are. Um, and this is also an issue that I, as a human rights defender, I deal with in the Muslim world. And so I've been commissioned by the United Nations to do an anti-hate speech curriculum workshop. Um, because it's not just here in American Muslims. Within our community, we're hating on each other. It's so absurd and it's so an antithesis of what the Quran teaches us. So I think we, we really need to strategize on how do we overcome this strategically, educationally, because we are, we're all going to have children. You're all going to have children. I have my daughter. She's 21. Or but, not. <laughs> or not. Exactly, or not. So uh, I think we have to really, um, we have to overcome this. Um, and, and this poor woman that you spoke about, it, that's heartbreaking. 
And, and, um, and what I say, do what Vidhasna did, start your own mosque. <laughs> Thank you for the khutbah. My name is Moza. I was born and raised as a Muslim in Zanzibar, Tanzania. So all these things that you are, people are talking about, they are new to me. But what I would like to share and make it very simple for us to ignore the politics because I know the Arabs think that they own Islam. They don't own Islam. The person that I really think that we should look up to is Malcolm X. When he went to Mecca and came back, and what did he say? Islam doesn't belong to blacks. It belongs to everybody. Okay. And for us to compartmentalize our race is really being a destroying factor into our beliefs. We love each other, we are here together. So why are we calling me, I'm Latino, I'm African, I'm Ar No, we should not listen to those people. We, shall, we just have to do what we need to do within our own um, space. Not our own space, but you know, collective space that we like to be in. I, I mean, I absolutely hear, I mean, and that is why I think so many of us like I said, the first time I went to a mosque and saw so many different kinds of people praying together, I was very, so moved. Like I could feel my heart, you know. Um, it was it was it was amazing. At the same time, we live in a country and a place that has such deep racial issues, such a deep history of racism, and. I think it's hard to say, well, when we walk into the masjid, those things disappear. The masjid is in, in the world. We are, this is the dunya, this is you know, our temporary space. We're just bodies. And so we have to address the ways that our bodies are treated and how we feel safe and not safe and how bodies, you know, how some people feel safer and, and don't. And so I think we have to do both. We have to hold that space where we are all Muslims together. And then we have to hold that space where we understand that we have real differences about how we understand and see the world. And I think I would suspect that everybody in this room is very aware of that. And, and, and kind of thinking about Emmy, like what you said, that's, I just want to say I hear what you say and I so deeply understand what you mean. Kind of I have code switching up, yeah. you know, everywhere. Like I'm different in every space I'm in and I absolutely understand that. And I'll just say something like very practical and, every, and I'm not even going to be like, I think it gets better as you get older because <laughs> you just kind of say like, I am who I am. All the things I am are who I am. I'm not whatever. So that's one, I mean, that's just very practical. <laughs> but on the other hand, I just feel like there is such a lack of humility in so many people. Like what, and, and so my thing to you would be like, I, I would love to hear more about what's happening with, you know, in Sudan. And I don't know very much, but I am absolutely here to listen and give you the mic you know, and say, you tell us, please teach us, yeah. you know, and I wish we had that spirit with everybody. It's like, we can't know about everything. Everybody has these experiences that are closer to them than to other people, but we should have the humility always to say, teach me and tell me, and what can I do for you? Because I love you. You are my sister. I'm here with you. And what can I do that would help me understand what you're going through better? And I think it's that humility and empathy that, I, I, like I said, I think all of us in this room probably have it. 
but it's 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 hard to explain. It's just Muslims. Our interfaith sisters um, and community are going through the same thing. I just want to say an answer to the lady on the end, your question about how we can all stop this racism or whatever. If we all just did like our prophet, became the walking Quran, walk around like a Quran. <laughs> Walking around like the Quran, all 114 surahs and all those thousands of ayah, just be the Quran. We wouldn't have these problems, not among Muslims at least. And if the interfaith sisters follow the Torah and the Injil, just what would Jesus do or what would Moses do? We'd be okay. All right, so we do still want to have time for our rose ceremony, so we're going to just do one more, and then we invite you guys to, uh, to continue the conversation afterwards over cake. Um, so we'll can, we, can we do her, too? Because she's had her hand up a long, 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 long time. Yeah. No, no, but I want to hear. Okay. Thank no. you so much <laughs> for giving me the chance. Salam alaikum. Alaikum uh, assalam. I, I want to ask you something very important because you talked about your own experience as a revert Muslim and as an acad a scholar, no? Yeah. I'm Mexican. I'm a reverted anthropologist studying a PhD in Mexico about Latino Muslims here in the U.S. And after studying my bachelor's, my master's and everything, I never considered to say in the academic world that I was a Muslim. Because supposedly in the academy, if you want to be a scientist, you have to be atheist or you have to deny <laughs> where you believe or what you believe. So now that... I'm doing this PhD in Mexico, and this, I decide to say, well, I'm Muslim. Mm. <laughs> How'd that go? Because, <laughs> because if they want to know my perspective, I will be more objective for them if I say where I come from, yep. what I believe, and everything. And at the same time, I'm a Mexican Muslim, here living in the U.S., but also in Mexico, where there's this idea, a specific idea, a specific idea about what it means to be a Muslim woman. So how do you combine that? I mean, for me, seeing you there is an example. You are a leader, and I wish, inshallah, I could be like you in the future. <laughs> you are. Yeah, but uh, how do you do that? I mean... Last time I came to the hotba and I saw the hativa, I don't think she's here, she's here, but she was like the example of power of what we as women need. And then how would you, well, I didn't have the time to ask her the other day, but how do, you, uh, uh, how do you do as a scholar, as a Muslim, as a wife, as a mother, how do you find the strength and how, what you could suggest us as women who want to be empowered, who want to be leaders, who want to believe more, who want to have knowledge about our faith. And what do you suggest us? 
Well, no pressure. <laughs> you know what? I, I hear you. Because as you were talking, I could hear my own journey or experiences. I can hear those questions of how do I do this? Like I said, I was this way I wanted to write the book because I'm like, there's no guidebook. There's, and this, my book is not, my work is not a roadmap. Um, but you know, when you're doing something, you, you, you don't even think about it. I mean, you do and you don't, right? And so for me, one of the things that I realize is, as a blessing is that no matter what your work is, no matter what you're doing, again, your life is your life. And those moments that you have lightness and you actually are able to connect with God are never those moments where you're like, oh, can I be a Muslim academic? They're about the people near you that you love. They're about the moments of quiet where you feel rested and calm. And all that other stuff is, it's, not as important, and, and I, don't, I don't say that in order to like belittle, because I, like I said, I hear everything. But in the end, like all those things you were saying, I was realizing that I think about that less and less now. You know, people say, oh, how can you say you're Muslim in the academy? You're supposed to be secular and impartial. And I'm like, being secular doesn't mean you're impartial at all. <laughs> it doesn't mean it at all. All these atheists, they're impartial, give me a break. Democracy is impartial, give me a break. You know what I mean? So, so it kind of matters less and less once you see kind of all the constructedness of everything. Like, this is where I am, and this is where I operate, and I think there's a time, and I'm, get, I'm not there at all, but there's a time in your life where you just kind of say, this is who I am right now, and this is what I'm doing. And whatever you think of it, that's for you. It's not for me. There's a great uh, quote, I think, I, don't, I forgot which poet it was, but basically you should trust that the desire that's in your heart comes from God, right? Um, and I, I'm going to wrap this up. Um, so, um, yeah. Just one second. Um, just one quote. Yeah. Uh, I just um, read this thing, my mom and I were reading it about a peaceful heart, um, and it's, it touches on the desire thing. It says that a, peace, a heart that's at peace is one that has um, lost any desire for anything that goes against the will of Allah. And so if people in your life are pushing you to do something that you know goes against the will of Allah, or pushing you to let go of your family or something, or hurt yourself in a way, it goes against the will of Allah, and so you yeah. won't want it anymore. And so it's kind of like trying to get to that place Praise where you know that you will, you will basically choose the thing that puts you at ease yeah. because you know a lie is peace and so go with the thing that makes you feel peaceful. All right, so I'm gonna wrap us up really quick. I know you guys wanna finish the discussion. I invite you to do that over cake.